Hello and welcome to Two Peas in a Podcast with me, Sam. And me, Ariane. Join us this week as we'll be discussing lockdown past, present and future, understanding how we've coped both individually and collectively as a nation in what has to be the most challenging year of our lives. We'll be sharing what we've been up to and how we've overcome the trials and tribulations that lockdown has thrown our way. Has our future changed forever? Will nightclubs ever be the same? And is working from home all what it's cut out to be? That's all to come on this week's podcast. All right. First of all, I would like to thank everyone who's listened to the first episode of Two Peas in a Podcast. Now, we've we've had over 100 listeners. To be completely fair with you guys, we only expected about 20. So this is way beyond our expectations. So we are definitely very grateful for it. So thank you for the love and support. It's interesting because we, we got some uh, unanimous feedback during the week. <laughs> yeah, we did. Um, <laughs> And I think everyone said the same thing that my microphone was shit and that I sounded shit. So um, I've invested in a in a brand new mic. Um, it's quite big. I feel like I'm in a recording studio. When he says he's invested in it, he spent thirty five quid. This guy is so stingy. <laughs> Jesus, <laughs> it looks good though, doesn't it? <laughs> it does not look good. You're standing up like a complete idiot. You guys can't obviously <laughs> see him, but I can see him, and he looks really stupid. <laughs> And it's really funny. It's cracking me up. But yeah. All right. Let's get serious. Cool. So let's start this week by talking about the lockdown um, and going right the way back to last February um, to when this shitstorm started. A year ago to the date, because uh, it came up on my Snapchat memories, was my last day of, u- of uni. It was quite a sad day, actually. I remember seeing... Well, seeing nobody, to be honest. Um, but the canteen that was all boarded up, and there was yellow tape everywhere. So I think that was that was the first day where it, things started to get serious, and we realised, I guess, the future was going to change for quite some time. Um, well, before I start talking about lockdown and how life was before lockdown, I will have to say this: Who the fuck uses Snapchat anymore? Like, you're literally the only person I know who uses Snapchat. Grow up, mate. Jesus Christ, you're such a child. Anyway, um, but to take you guys back to last, well, end of February, beginning of March last year, I remember very vividly that there was a period that we knew something is coming, but we weren't sure what it is yet. I remember that we were hearing the news about this coronavirus, COVID-19 um, happening in China, and then it was going everywhere. We had some cases in England. Now, at the time, everywhere was still open, but we all knew that something is going to happen fairly soon. I remember France or Italy, one of these European countries, went into lockdown before England. And the second they went into lockdown, um, we knew that it's going to happen in this country as well. Now, I was working in a nightclub at the time. I was a nightclub promoter and Sam used to work in the club with me as well. He used to be, um, he used to do the till. Uh, he calls himself the internal head of promotion, whatever. He used to do the till. Um, <laughs> but yeah, and I was a promoter. And I remember talking to a lot of other promoters, promoters for other clubs, that what do you guys think about the future? Do you guys think we're going to go into lockdown? And pretty much all of us knew that this is going to be this is going to be severe. 
Like nobody was under the impression that life is going to be as it was in the near future. I remember I told him, yes, I do believe we are going to go into lockdown. I didn't know at the time that it's going to be a year. I thought it's probably going to be a couple of weeks. But I did tell him that, yes, I do believe we are going to go into lockdown. And a worry for people like us who worked in nightclubs was financial worries because our kind of work is not salary based and because it's events you can't do it any other way it has to happen you know the event needs to be there for you to need promoters to pay them so yeah we had that conversation everyone was very much worried as to what's going to happen and to be fair with you a lot of people were scared we were all i was scared for sure like i'm not going to say i was scared shitless but it was worrying times. Like it was so bizarre, so new. And we didn't know how severe it is. Like at the time, if you, I don't know if you remember Sam or not, but we had no idea as to how severe this disease is. Obviously right now we know what it is quite a bit, but at the time we didn't know these things as much as we do now. So yeah, it was worrying times in the last couple of days before we went into lockdown. Yeah, no, I, th- I remember it quite vividly, actually. Um, that last Monday um, at the club, and no one no one really knew what the vibe was going to be like. And I remember we was massively understaffed because we thought no one was going to come out because, you know, the virus, it started initially in Brighton, if you remember. Yeah. That we, had a, we had a mass spreader in Hove. Um, and that that's why the University of Brighton's closed early, much earlier than than a lot of the other universities. So so we kind of got the first glimpse of the future, if you like, without really knowing. Um, and I remember that that night, that Monday, was the first time we started taking precautions. You know, I was wearing gloves, which was so alien. If you remember a year ago, wearing gloves on a night out was just crazy. But that's when we started to notice things changing. Um, and to be fair, it was a crazy night. We had over 700 people and it was, you know, to think back now, 700 people in one place, it's just unheard of. So that really was the last night of reality. Um, and it's very quickly, very quickly, um, changed. I remember a funny story about the last night at the club. I remember... This group of, I think it was like 15, 20 girls, they came to the club and they came with with face masks and they kept their face masks on throughout the night in the club. Now, the bizarre thing is, is that why would you go to a nightclub if you are that worried about Corona? This is at that time. So in hindsight, we, you know, everybody now has to wear face masks and we understand why. But, you know, if you're going to a club, the face mask is not going to protect you. Like, just don't go to the club if you're that worried. But it was really funny. Like, And they kept their face masks on throughout the night. And then they would take it off, start having their drinks, and then they would keep it, put, put it back on. I don't know. I found it very funny, very bizarre at the time. I think at that time as well, um, the, the country was kind of divided in the sense that some people started to take it seriously. So those people wearing masks, those people wearing gloves, and some people were just skeptics. And they were, and I would hold my hands up and say I was quite skeptical. You know, I went into work that that Monday night thinking, oh, you know, we're probably going to be closed for a couple of weeks. Let this blow over, and then we'll be back. If you would have said to me that night a year later, 
clubs wouldn't even be open. You know, you'd have to be two meters apart. I, I would have, you know, I would have laughed in your face, really, because it is it, at that time was unheard of, and it was a completely alien concept. So looking back at it now, mental times, things have completely changed. Yeah, um, I mean, you you are not the only one. To be fair, who can blame us to to think at the time, even even heads of state, even government officials, nobody really thought that this is going to be a long term kind of thing at the very beginning. You know, some weeks into it, they kind of realized that this is something that they will have to deal with for the long term. This is not going to be going away in two weeks time. Like, I don't know if you remember, but Trump at the time was saying, oh, yeah, life is going to go back to normal by Easter. You know, this is in March. Easter is in April. So he thought this is going to be done in one month. Obviously, you know, Trump's a fucking idiot. But at the same time, he's also the president of the United States. So you can see that um, that government official, heads of state, leaders of the world, they also did not anticipate, um, at least many of them did not anticipate that this is going to be a challenge for the world for some time to come, let alone, you know, me and you who used to work in a nightclub. I mean, just sticking on the theme of of employment, um, looking back at it, how how did you think or how did you feel at the time it was going to affect you, if at all? Did you think... Are we going to get financial stability over the next coming weeks, months, year? Or was it not really something that you that you thought about? All right. Well, that's the thing is that um, I will have to... I'm no fan of the Tories. I do not like the Conservatives. I am not a Conservative. I would never vote for the Conservatives. But, okay. but credit is given where credit is due. I do believe that the furlough scheme that the government introduced was a massive, massive, massive help for everyone in the country. I don't really think that anyone would have been able to survive without the furlough scheme. Now, I do believe that it's the duty of the government to do that and more for its citizens. But at the same time, so often we see governments neglect their duties. Uh, and when they don't, you know, we have to praise them. We have to give them credit. And the prime minister, the cabinet, they did what was the right thing to do at the time. And they introduced the furlough scheme, although not flawless, although could certainly have been better. But it helped a lot of people. It certainly helped me. It certainly helped the people around me to be able to survive. Because um, a lot of people in this country, perhaps the overall majority of the people in this country, are very much dependent on their paycheck. They do not have the ability to go without a paycheck for not even more than a month. Like most people do not have massive amounts of savings. Most people tend to be reliant on, on maybe, maybe they have the ability to go for, let's say, two, three months. But without any income, a lot of people would have been completely screwed. And the government thankfully introduced the furlough scheme. And although it had its flaws, it served its purpose very well. And it saved a lot of people. And for that, we need to give them credit. Fair enough. Uh, yeah, so like you say, the furlough scheme was was hugely beneficial for so many people. Um, what's quite interesting is that furlough it's been around for quite quite some time, not to the degree that it was implemented last year. So I think I read over eleven million people um, were put on furlough during the pandemic, or maybe eleven million jobs. Um, but either way, you know that's that's huge. So it's definitely benefited a lot of people. Benefited benefited you, benefited me. Um, all of these people wouldn't have been able to survive. Um, without the furlough so like you say credit where it's due 
um, to the government. Um, yeah, I mean, there was there was some fortunate people um, like myself who was able to get another job during the pandemic. Um, but I managed to find alternative employment at Tesco, believe it or not. Uh, if you would have said to me before the pandemic that I would have been working in Tesco, I would have just probably laughed in your face, to be honest. Um, Nothing wrong with working in Tesco's. That, I mean, yeah, true. Um, but how I got the job actually was quite a funny one because I was just doing my weekly shop, as I always do, in my trackies, in my sliders, um, and my friend was working behind the till, and, and he said to me, oh, Sam, are you looking for another job? Because he knew that we just got, you know, the club had just closed. Um, and I was like, oh, sure, what have you got going? And he said, oh, my manager's upstairs hiring on the spot. And it was it was quite bizarre actually, because um, you just don't expect to go through your weekly shop and, and get offered a job. So gave him my my driving license, and he was like, "You start tomorrow." And I was like, "Flipping it, okay." So sign a bit of paperwork, and then yeah, before you knew it, I started working in Tesco. I later then found out that they hired about ninety other people because you know, obviously it was desperate times. Uh, there was people shielding there was people going off sick then they put me on a few shifts on the till and it was disgusting honestly it was people coughing there were people sneezing at me um I thought no this isn't for me you know I, I, I wasn't desperate at the time but people coughing in my face nah so I was talking to one of my colleagues there about how the club I've done a little bit of door work before you know I've helped the bouncers we've kicked people out etc and very quickly one of the managers there um, took me off from the till and put me at the the front of the front of the store. Um, that actually was a blessing in disguise because I got paid for three months just get a tan. I was letting people in and out of Tesco, as you probably remember. Um, it was great. We had great weather, and I had three months of solid tanning on good pay. And it was probably the best three months of last year that I've had. Well, you seem to have lived an eventful life. Three months in Tesco. What a fucking brilliant time. <laughs> do, you not, do, you, do you not remember when you came and you saw me on the door and you was like, is this what you do? But yeah, this is literally just let people in and out. <laughs> yeah, you stood by the door. What's so brilliant about that? What's brilliant is that, <laughs> I, is that I was in the sun, mate. I was getting a tan. I was getting paid to be in the, in the sun. Now that you've touched upon it, obviously during the first lockdown, you found a job. Very boring job. You try to make it sound exciting. It definitely fucking was not. But yeah, good for you. On an, on the other hand, I didn't have a job. And I had a fantastic time during the first lockdown. Um, definitely not. But I did find, um, thankfully, Call of Duty released a new game. Right no, at the did. beginning of the first lockdown. Yeah, that is literally what I did. Which was amazing. They, it was like a, a like fortnight, but... Um, Obviously, the Call of Duty version of it. I started playing that with a with a lot of people. To be fair, thankfully, this is perhaps you know on a more serious note, the escapism of gaming, the escapism of um, being able to still talk to your mates but also be on a mission. You know, what, have some sort Call of, of Duty purpose. Mission? Yeah, yeah, Call of Duty mission. Look, the thing about it is that once when you're in lockdown. I believe that that gaming part of my life helped me out a lot with regards to not just boredom, but also the fact that I could talk to my mates naturally. 
because there is a difference between calling someone up and trying to make conversation. Look, nobody was doing anything. Whenever I talk to anyone on FaceTime, I'd be like, oh, hey, how are you doing? And then they'd be like, yeah, I'm all right. And then I'll be like, oh, what have you been up to? And they'll be like, uh, well, nothing. nothing. <laughs> but on Call of Duty, you talk about the stuff that you are about to do, but also about how's your day been? What have you been up to? You know, it keeps you close to your friends. And I genuinely do believe that um, as much as it may sound ridiculous, but Call of Duty helped me stay sane during the first lockdown because I got to talk to many of my friends for a long time and it was occupying my mind um, while playing games, shooting at people, whatever. The other aspect of the first lockdown that um, I want to focus on is the fact that it was a novel experience. It was very new. Nobody had ever experienced this before. And although we were all sitting at home doing nothing, I believe that the extent to which it was boring was nowhere near as much as the lockdowns that we have faced since because of the novelty of the experience. During the first lockdown, um, me and my housemates started doing these movie nights. We started cooking for each other. We started doing all these little things to make our day a little bit better. And we started watching TV shows together. In many ways, it brought us um, closer together. But um, it was also a scary time. I remember we used to watch Boris Johnson's daily prime minister briefings or I don't know what you call them, but whatever they were, we used to call them. We used to watch them. We used to call them. We used to watch them. And when Boris Johnson was finished, we'd even watch the Trump ones because, you know, America at the time was going absolutely crazy. And the numbers were just going up and up on a daily basis ridiculously. But yeah, the other thing that I wanted to point out is that the first lockdown, everybody adhered to it. Every there was nobody took half measures. Everybody that at least everybody that I knew was in full accordance with the laws and regulations that the government had put forward, which at the time was to stay home and not fuck about and don't go out, you know, except for your exercise of the day. Don't go and hang out with your mates, which, which you know, you were living in Brighton at the time and you were, you know, a couple of streets away yeah. from me. You were a 10 minute walk away from me and we did not see each other for the duration of that lockdown and we did not see anybody else for that matter, for the duration of that lockdown. We just kept to our household. And that is important to see. It was heartwarming at the, at the same time as it was scary because everybody was in the same boat together, literally together. And everybody mm-hmm. was adhering to it. Uh, and yet that was my experience with the first lockdown. I think you make quite an interesting point there because the novelty and the togetherness, um, if we're going to compare that to the lockdown that we've had now, was huge you know the, the first lockdown everyone was in the same boat and I, I felt that togetherness that we haven't had for quite some time um, i noticed that a lot when i was working in tesco because i was seeing a lot of people on a daily basis um you, you talk to the occasional person and they were just thinking the same as what you were thinking you know you're this like i am you're working here i'm trying to protect you you're trying to protect me as now mentality seems to have shifted you know like you say that that sense of togetherness and community spirit was so yeah, so rife so rife in the first lockdown um those those three months you know march to june were actually really good 
really good in from that sense. Obviously, there was a lot of you know there was, there was mental health problems and stuff like that, which we'll get onto um, in later episodes. But it, it certainly had a positive and negative effect on a lot of people. Yeah, no, for sure. And also, we see the manifestations of this sense of community, as you termed it, community spirit. Let's call it. Uh, it's the manifestations of it. It showed itself in, let's say, they're clapping for the NHS or when people were doing all these virtual Zoom, um, I don't know what you call them, but these family meetings. And I remember, you know, my housemates were, who, let's say, they, they never really talked to their aunties or to their uncles or, you know, to at least secondhand family, not just their parents. And I saw that on a weekly basis, like families were coming together and there seemed to be this, because we were now all faced with loneliness, everybody realized how much we need each other and therefore tried to make an effort with each other. Like back then in the first lockdown, I talked to more people than, but at least, you know, virtually, obviously, I talked to more people than I have done but by a, by a far bigger margin than I have in the in the most recent lockdowns, uh, and I think it was because of that. It was because we were all suddenly faced with the sad reality of being absolutely alone and perhaps feeling lonely at times. And it was an interesting one. But there were things that helped me certainly from a mental health point of view keep myself sane, keep myself occupied. One of them was gaming, as I mentioned. The other one was uh, a blessing, which is to have my housemates. You know, it's different when you live alone, for sure. If you live alone and you're locked down, you're definitely fucked. Like, it's like if you're living alone and you're in lockdown, you are facing a very, very tough challenge. Thankfully, I had two other housemates at the time who stayed in Brighton. Uh, and I remember I had another housemate who was a French girl. and. Even before England went into lockdown, France went into lockdown. And the day that Macron, the French president, gave a speech about France going into lockdown, she literally got onto the last train from Brighton to London because if she had not gotten on that train, France would have closed its borders. So I remember she was panicking and she was like, I need to go ASAP. And we literally said goodbye within minutes and she was gone. And um, and I saw her months and months later. But yeah, that, that was my experience with the first lockdown. You mentioned something quite interesting that you, you spoke about um, the clap for clap for the NHS, which later later became clap for heroes. What what did you think of, of that as a as a message? Because it started out with the right message, you know. Let's let's have this togetherness. I'll, I'll mention that word again. You know the whole community coming together and clapping for heroes. It, it quite quickly lost its message. What did you What did you make of it? And did you do it? Well, I did it, and I will tell you this: the problem is, is that with these things, they should be the tip of the iceberg. The clap for the NHS should be the gesture showing the deep faith and the deep respect that the British public has for the NHS, and thus. It should manifest itself in increased budgets for the NHS, in pay rises for nurses, in trying to provide them 
with a better quality of life. You know, the clap for the NHS is a gesture. Yes, it's beautiful to see that everybody, you know, is respecting the nurses and the doctors and the frontline, you know, workers. Later on, obviously, we realized how much we rely on other key workers, as it was termed later on, like people who work in a supermarket and etc. But the problem is, is that unfortunately, to this day, a year later, we have not seen the manifestation of that message. The message was clear. Everybody in the country respects the job that these people do. However, these people have not gained anything from anything, at least on the financial side. I'm not talking about the personal side, personal growth side, but financially they have not been backed by the government and by their private employers. Like we don't know, we, we have not heard of any significant pay rises for supermarket staff. We have not heard of significant rises to nurses' salaries. We did see that 1% increase for, for the NHS workers, which is a huge insult. It's a massive kick in the teeth, I think. Yeah, but that's the problem is that, you know, you can't come out after a year, the most challenging year perhaps since the creation of the NHS for the NHS, and then you come out and give them a 1% pay rise, which is disgraceful to say the least. And it's, as you mentioned, you know, it's, it's a completely empty gesture. So yeah, the clapping for the NHS, beautiful to begin with, but it needs to manifest itself into pay rises, into actual solid uh, not just empty words, but actions. It needs to show them. It needed to result in actions that showed the nurses that the country cares about them as much as they are caring for the country right now. And unfortunately, that did not happen. Yeah, I think I think a lot of people will agree with you, with us, that a lot more needs to be done. A lot more needs to be done to show appreciation for the for all the NHS workers, all the frontline workers. You know supermarkets workers as well um so yeah more definitely needs to be done and that that one percent pay rise was shocking to say the least yeah and also i need to add something else this it's not although it is a case of appreciation the story doesn't end there this pandemic has showed us how much we rely on these people and how essential what they're doing to our way of life is if we do not support them if they are not supported if it's the state which is the government, does not give them what they need to sustain a good life, then we are not going to be able to, God forbid, if in the future we see another pandemic. You know, we've just, this pandemic showed everyone, in a way, this pandemic made everyone a terminal patient. Everybody felt like how it is to be at risk, to be at risk of dying any day. This showed everyone that. And we understood for the first time how important the role of these key workers are. And therefore, we should never, we should never forget. We should never forget and we should show our remembrance by solid action. And unfortunately, I gave the government credit before. On this side, I, I cannot give them any credit. They don't deserve it. Absolutely, couldn't agree with you more. Um, you touched upon earlier about how you felt during those three months but when we got to got to about June time and things started to get a little bit more relaxed and we could go outside and we could see our friends um obviously we was able to go to the beach living in Brighton which was you know that was a massive thing for me um, but how how did your mood change because I know mine did for sure um towards the end of June when we came out of lockdown 
we was able to see our friends we was able to go out how did that make you feel in a way in a way i will have to say this it it felt like a dream like going and getting a falafel with your friend <laughs> or grabbing a coffee with 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 whoever it seemed like such an impossible thing during lockdown but suddenly when you were able to obviously not without limits the rule of six applied at the time of course, if i remember yeah. correctly but not only it lifted my spirit up but it almost overnight took me to a different reality it transformed my mentality completely like it's it's very hard to describe but at the time in lockdown it felt as if there was a fog on my brain mm-hmm. once we were able to go out and about obviously within the realms of the rule of six my mentality changed completely and thus my mood was uplifted severely and to a high degree and then i was i was much happier for sure i was much happier don't get me wrong it wasn't as if i was doing anything substantial it would be just going to the beach sitting on the beach with one more friend and grabbing a cup of coffee and watching the sunset you know this seems something like something very normal and trivial however at the time i realized and understood how valuable moments like these are like i remember i had a chat with you at the time on facetime and we were um so me and sam we, with two of our other friends we used to go to dinner every week before pandemic started we used to go to a different restaurant in brighton every week and try out different places and when we were doing it it was just a norm of life this is our way of socializing with each other this is our time together the four of us but i remember having this chat with you during the first lockdown suddenly it feels like a privilege moments like that feel like a privilege they're not normal anymore they are literally something to not be taken for granted isn't it a sad reality that it takes for a global pandemic and for us to be in lockdown for us to have realized that i mean you know, I, i think we can speak for for most people our age that just going out you know to restaurants and to the pub just take for granted or we did take for granted because it was just what you did now having not been able to do it for over a year only when you look back in hindsight you think fucking hell that was such that was such good times you know just being able to go to a restaurant no phones talk to your friends have a good meal have a couple of beers and you know potentially go out after that are the kind of things that you just took for granted I don't want to get too deep about this but the reality of our life is that it's finite is that it finishes this pandemic helped us realize how finite it is like we all know that we're going to die one day but none of us really lives in actualization of it in full realization of it this pandemic made us realize that everything that we are doing will end one day and because of that we should never take it for granted again sure i mean i think for me what i noticed um and it took me quite a while to realize this but you know march till june i had a great time i was still seeing people in tesco but it only really hit me when i moved down to london in in around july time last year because that's when i started to notice a change in mood you know i, I noticed a change in quality of life which i had already anticipated but i didn't realize the severity until it actually happened i guess um but obviously from then till now i've been i've been missing something something hasn't 
it's not quite the same as what it was. Um, and that I kind of realised when, um, I kind of realised that in the second, lo- just before the second lockdown, um, when I went back down in October to see you for a few days. And I noticed the importance of finding your happy place. And to quote Jordan North from Mama Celebsy, you know, he says, happy place, happy place, turf more, turf more. <laughs> um, <laughs> what a credible guy to go. Anyway. Um, no, my happy, my happy place always has been Brighton, but I only realised that in October when I went down because just driving down from London, I kind of felt a sense of euphoria. I felt this not weight off my shoulders because it wasn't that. It was an overwhelming feeling knowing I was going to a place that I was happy. Now, don't get me wrong, I'm still happy in London, uh, but it's just a very different vibe. You know, just being by the beach, being by the seaside, being close to your friends, all of these things affects your mood, affect your, you know, your mental health. So that move for me just felt rejuvenated. Just being able to walk along the beach, even if it is with one other person or, you know, by yourself. I, I did multiple times just sat on the beach by myself because you couldn't see people, you know, they were either busy or whatever. So I think that's really important to touch upon. Um, the message I'm probably trying to portray here is find your happy place. You know, if you know you are comfortable and happy somewhere, could be, I don't know, somewhere in, in England, somewhere you went as a, as a baby, somewhere, you, went, you know, with your family, wherever that is, take yourself there. Whenever we come out of lockdown, take yourself to that happy place because it is really important for your mental health. And I only realised that in hindsight, that for me, it's Brighton. And obviously credit where it's due to, to my friends and to the people that I've met down there. That That's the one place that I, I truly feel happy and comfortable so I always look forward to going at home yeah and obviously you know you had to do what's right for you at the time without what you've got now which is the power of retrospect and hindsight you know when you decided to move to London you didn't know that we're going to be having a tough winter and that it's going to be pretty much all in lockdown and you're going to be in the 14th floor of a high rise blocked in in a in a in a tiny apartment you know you thought you're going to things could be very different and you couldn't you know you couldn't really with the information you had at the time oh, i cannot see how you could have made a different yeah. decision knowing that you would have had to thinking that you would have to go to the office you know so i wouldn't be hard on i wouldn't be hard on myself I'm, and i'm not saying that you are but obviously you know hindsight and retrospect does provide insights that otherwise we would not have there is a there is a saying in persian which says the toughest teacher in life is experience because it tests you before it teaches you and that's the power of retrospect and hindsight because you know you now realize my happy place is in brighton because you've gone and experienced something different. Don't get me wrong. I do believe that you would almost certainly be happier with your current living situation. I'm not saying you'd be happier than Brighton, but happier than right now, had it not been fully locked down since you moved in. You know, you would have gone out, you would have met met up with people and perhaps made new friends. And, you know, the expectation that everybody has of a 22 year old living in in london but yeah that's the thing but to to reaffirm the point that you just raised i have decided after many years of thinking about it and you know with regards to being iranian 
and having a life in Iran with family in Iran, with loads of friends in Iran, with having a established life in Iran, but also with living in Brighton, living in England, I've always faced the duality of whether I want to stay and live in England or whether I want to move back to Iran. You know, I've, I've been thinking about this for many years and before the pandemic started, I realized that this city is where I have found peace, where I have found, um, where I found myself in a way and where I want to settle down. Now, for me, I'm in a lucky position. I'm in a blessed position. I have the ability to decide where I want to live. I have the ability to also financially back that. You know, not everyone is in that position. And if you are in a position financially and mentally able to move to where where is your happy place and live there, I think it's a it's something that one would regret later on in life if they do not choose to do so. Mainly, mainly because, as I mentioned, life is finite. We don't, I mean, I'm not going to say the future is a fool's bet. That is not what I'm saying. But if you're not happy in the moment, if you're not trying to make yourself happy in the moment, in the near moment, in the short moment, then perhaps happiness is that long-term happiness, that image that one is chasing, perhaps it's it's not worth it, you know. That's quite interesting, to be fair. Um, let's bring it forward to uh, the current day and, and what we're living through lockdown at the moment. Um, it's kind of a strange place because, it, for me, it feels like purgatory where the end is in sight, the end is very near. You know, we've been given these four dates um, March 29th, April 12th, May 17th, June 21st. Um, we'll come on to those dates in a little bit, but for me, it feels very purgatory-ish because we're living in uncertain times. You know, we've got clarity at the moment on the dates and, and when restrictions are supposed to ease, but what we don't have is a plan B on what's going to happen if we don't achieve those dates. You know, it's, it's very difficult for someone to think come June 21st, we're going to be able to go to a party or to a nightclub or to a festival. Um, but if we don't have the data, what's what's going to happen? You know, what, what's, what's your take on that? And, and how do you think it's going to affect people? Um, to be completely honest with you, Sam, I do believe that before the Prime Minister came and announced these dates, I felt very similar to how you feel with regards to it feeling like purgatory. You know, purgatory is the state between hell and heaven uh, in the afterlife, at least in religious text. And it's the place where you're awaiting the judgments as to whether you've been good enough to go to heaven or you are going to go to hell. Now, it's kind of being yeah. in limbo. It's kind of not knowing where you're going to end up. So I understand that fully and I can totally relate to literally every word you said. I would say this though, with the dates that the government has announced, although there is a possibility that they will backtrack on this, that they will change their mind for whatever reason, and I think the probability is very high, as it is the case with this government, they are renowned for backtracking their word and for changing their word on a daily basis. But 
it shows that there is an end in sight and it's not going to be forever. Like even if 21st of June comes and festivals are not open, first of all, I'm pretty sure that it wouldn't be as tough as it is, as it is now with regards to the restrictions. And that in itself is a boost, is a lift. And, you know, you may not be able to go to a festival, but potentially pubs would be open, potentially. What I do know is that the effect of this news, not only on my mood, but also of the people around me. I was talking to a friend of mine who runs an event company, events company, and he was not having the best of times with regards to not knowing when, if, if his events company is going to be able to reopen or not at any point soon. But the second that the government announced these plans, he started having that sense of purpose again in his life. And he called me and I was talking to him and I was like, okay, mate, how are you doing? What's up? And he was like, oh, I'm so busy. I'm trying to think about everything, think about um, what we're going to do, how we're going to reopen. And, you know, he had that sense of purpose again in his life. You know, for a year, some people have lost their cause, which was their job, which this is their career, you know. And it was quite beautiful to see that happening, him changing his attitude overnight, mm -hmm. almost overnight. It's literally exactly what I said about the fog during the first lockdown and when I was yeah. able to see friends again. Overnight, suddenly you see a change of attitude. Now, I asked him this question that you're asking me, which is, how do we feel about it? Do we think these dates are going to be certain? You know, are you really working to the 21st? And what he said is that, you know, we have to do the best we can do. I have to take what the government says, take their word and act upon it and plan my event company to start on the 21st of June. If the government then changes its mind, then I will have to readjust. The irony for me with, with what Boris released and, and announced was I saw I saw in the news the day before the announcement that they uh, him and Matt Hancock were talking about um, the key, the emphasis, the importance here is going to be on the data, not the dates. Um, that makes perfect sense because obviously you can't ease restrictions. We can't move into the next phase without the data allowing us to do so. So, so that was fine. It, and then he made the announcement. And then that's when I was just like oh, another example, just such shoddy leadership because they completely contradicted themselves and they released four massive, massive dates, such important dates for people to to start planning the next six months of our, of our lives. Right. So they released March 29th, April 12th, May 17th, June 21st. And that was fine. But the issue I have with that is if we take June 20th, right, the day before the, the proposed end of lockdown dates by that point we're I think we're going to be allowed up to 30 people you know to meet outside the next day they're saying oh we're gonna we're gonna allow festivals nightclubs all these venues to open and there's going to be hundreds and potentially thousands of people gathering in these small venues in these small places right so that I don't quite understand how that's going to happen and there's two issues with that You've got firstly, you've got the financial implications for these venues. So take the nightclub industry. You know, it's it's already been massively hit. They were the first to shut and are probably going to be the last to open. So you've got the financial implication there. You've got the second implication, which is 
the social repercussion. What's going to happen to people's mentality if that date gets pushed back? So the issue I have with setting that fixed date of June 21st is if the data is not there for us to, to allow the restrictions to ease, there's going to be mass riots. There's, there's going to be people taking matters into, into their own hands by that point because people will just be fed up. I mean, people are already starting to get fed up already. Um, so I think it was a bold, bold move by the government to do that, to release the date, not necessarily release the date, but to include things like nightclubs and those kind of venues to reopen now look i understand why they've done it you know you have you have to give people that um that sense of hope and that you know that the end is in sight but in the back of my mind i'm just being a little bit cautiously pessimistic because i don't want us to be led down a false sense of security so it's great to have these dates and it's great to look forward to these dates and plan for the, for that date um but i am just slightly skeptical skeptical still or, or how that's going to happen. All right, uh, just one thing is that um, obviously the Prime Minister and his cabinet and the people in charge right now, they are looking at the vaccination program, which today meant uh, I saw the news over half of the adult population of the UK. We also has had the vaccinated. most amount of vaccines in you one know, day, over 700,000 people, which is huge over 700 that is that is mental astonishing astronomical numbers so clearly you know the vaccination we all kind of knew from when this started that the way out of this will be the vaccine sure. like, there was no other way out of this to return to normality to go to a no. festival you know what i mean and with regards to the vaccination program the government will have to try its best and they are they are trying they are doing what they can it seems hope hopefully they are and I do believe that with the vaccination carrying on, and if they are able to provide enough people with the vaccination, because different scientific experts say different things. Some people say if you vaccinate 70% of the population, you can go back to normal. Some people say, no, you have to, you know, it has to be a higher number than that. I haven't really had anyone say any numbers lower than 70%. But regardless, it depends on what the government can deliver with regards to the vaccination program. If they can vaccinate the population, then they can reopen the the economy and then, well, obviously ease down the restrictions. But that remains to be seen. It seems like it's going relatively well. I think the UK so far has had, in terms of percentage of population, yeah. I think it has yeah. had the highest in the world. But yeah, that's the thing is that... Uh, but also, at the same time, with when I see the vaccination program, I can see that even if June 21st is postponed, it won't be postponed till next April. Yeah. It will be postponed to, let's say, another month. You know, it. that's what I mean when I say the end is in sight. Not because of Boris's roadmap, but because I'm looking at the vaccination program. Not because Boris said, okay, under June 21st, you can do whatever. I don't really... Um, I'm not really focusing on that. I'm looking at the number of people who've been vaccinated and it's very promising. It's That's a very important promising point indeed. you just made there because though it won't get pushed back till next April, for instance, even if it gets pushed back by four weeks, that's going to have such a huge detrimental effect financially for, for venues, but mentally as well, because are people realistically going to be able to cope with another four weeks in lockdown or another four weeks of postponement or another four weeks of restrictions 
I think it's going to take its toll if we get to that stage. Well, the thing about it, Sam, is that I don't disagree with you, and I do believe that it will be a challenge as it is now. However, it is the job of elected officials, of leaders of a country, any country, to make tough choices. Now, with regards to Boris Johnson, even though politically I stand completely on the opposite side of him, like I couldn't be further apart, but I do not in any way, shape or form doubt the intention of the officials, in the elected officials in this country, Labour or Conservative, that they want what's best for the country from their own perspective. Don't get me wrong. They believe different things are better for the country. But I don't believe these are people who are necessarily all self-serving and they just, you know, care about themselves. I don't believe in that. I don't believe that the conservatives are completely heartless people. That is not my belief and I've never believed in that. So what I do believe is that the intention is there. The intention is clearly there. They want the country to go back to normality Yes, if it comes to the point that the data isn't there, then the Prime Minister, he's taken a political gamble by giving out these dates. If he cannot deliver them, he knows that there would be a backlash. Look, look, he's not an idiot. He knows that if he cannot deliver the dates that he said, people will be disappointed. And a lot of people will be risking financials, their, their financial ability, and they will be betting on these dates to reopen. He knows that. So he will try his best to do what he has promised. Now, there may be reasons, like today there was a, I watched the news today, and there seems to be a delay from the AstraZeneca supply to the European Union AstraZeneca, I mean, whatever. <laughs> Why do they have such complicated names, by the way? Why can't you just call it the Smith vaccine? <laughs> well, that would be because an English person didn't create the vaccine, isn't it? I mean, you know, AstraZeneca. Okay, anyway, but whatever. Just call it the COVID vaccine, the vaccine. Yeah, but there seem to have been a delay. So there are unpredictable challenges on the way as well, potentially. What we are saying is that even though it might get postponed, I don't believe that it's going to be as detrimental to people's mental health as much as it would have been had they not shown any end in sight. Like, I do believe that it was perhaps premature to announce four big dates. Perhaps they could have said, okay, we are going to take it like they did last time. Instead of giving four big dates, give one big date. Be like 29th of March, you can go and do the rule of six, and then come and talk about, and then if they can't yeah. deliver, talk about the next stage. I think perhaps that could have been a better approach, but now he's taken the gamble, and I really hope he delivers on it. But also, bear in mind that most importantly, it's the people's safety is more important than everything else. So I don't want them to rush it either. Let's talk a little bit about nightclubs. Um, obviously, we've both worked in, in the industry for a couple of years and we've got a good, good understanding of how they work. But how do you think going forwards going to change? How, how do you think that experience is going to change for people? I mean, it certainly is going to be magnificent sure. for the first opening night. The question that we have is whether it's going to be sustained. Now, that's a worry for a lot of people within the hospitality industry, not just nightclubs, but also pubs, but also hotels, but also holidays. Um, 
the fact of the matter is that domestically we may be able to sustain the same numbers but because different governments around the world are working at different paces with regards to the vaccination program it might take another year before people are able to go on let's say holidays abroad as much as they would want to uh, at least in the numbers that they have been doing so or maybe even longer than a year this is mainly because different governments are working at different paces around the globe like the government of the UK is doing pretty well with regards to the vaccination program but to talk about the domestic situation and the nightclubs it very much depends on the effectiveness of the vaccine if the vaccine is proven to be effective enough that people can go back to life as it was before then i don't believe nightclubs will take a hit i do believe that the clientele is still there do you think people's moods about going to clubs will change do you think people will still be comfortable in going to a packed cramped venue i think the answer would be the same again it very much depends on the effectiveness of the vaccine but also more importantly with regards to this question or more important in general but more important to this question the confidence of people in the effectiveness of the vaccine because you know the vaccine could be 99% successful if the people are not if people are not confident in it you know public confidence is different although that may sound ridiculous but it is different like in france today there was a survey showing that 52% of french people thought that the pfizer vaccine is effective you know obviously the bbc was using this to justify that the pfizer that people are seeing the pfizer vaccine as good as effective but that means 48% of them are not fully convinced yet you know that would be another program to show people that it is genuinely effective like you know if you've got the vaccine and you're going out and you're not getting ill then it's clearly effective so yeah depends on how much the government the media is going to be able to provide public confidence in the vaccine if both of them are high i don't believe that we would have a problem with regards to people feeling iffy if they're in a packed space cool yeah i think that's a good place to to end for this week um join us next week where we'll be talking about addiction and our personal experiences of it um thank you for listening Aaron. anything else uh anything else well i just want to thank everyone who's you know been patient enough to listen to this episode and i would recommend you guys to definitely tune in for the episode next week as i do believe that it's an important issue to discuss Aside from that, nope. Get on safely and bye. Bye.